Hey everybody and welcome to the Wax and Wayne podcast, episode 001. My name is Matt Carlson, I'm your host. I'm also the uh, lunatic and the vinyl fanatic that runs the Wax and Wayne website. You can find us online at waxandwaynemusic.com. That's, uh, there's a pretty good chance that that's how you got here, is by finding us on that site. You can also find us on social media. We're uh, Twitterites. Come uh, give us a follow, pretend that you love us. Get us at Wax and Wayne Music, and of course we are on the old Facebooks. Um, the kids are leaving because they don't like their moms on there, but uh, the old fuckers like me, we're just populating that join up. Go to uh, Wax and Wayne Music on uh, Facebook, or just search Wax and Wayne Music. Either way, come and find us. Um, a little bit about the site, really quickly, before we jump into all the stuff I want to cover for this week's uh, this week's podcast. Um, the site is basically designed to be a resource for you as a vinyl collector, as a crate digger, as somebody who loves vinyl records. Um, I'm I'm really I'm really enthusiastic and really excited and passionate about the idea of physical media, specifically vinyl. Um, you know, um, it's a busy world. We've all got iPods, we've all got phones, we all listen to satellite radio and shit. But um, if I'm gonna listen to music and I get to choose how I want to listen to it, goddamn it, I'm gonna listen to it on vinyl. Um, we have a vinyl-only policy here at our house. I have a wife and two daughters. Uh, we have a little game we play called Flip It or Skip It. Um, sometimes I'm the only one who plays along, which means I get to pick all of the sides, man, and that's my favorite way to do it. So anyway, um, the idea here is for me to give you some resources to let you know about reissues, uh, new stuff that's coming out, things that we're excited about that we see, that we find, that people tell us about, um, getting that out on the website and on Twitter and on Facebook, and also to kind of give some tips and tricks to the neophytes out there. So maybe you haven't been collecting vinyl very long. Maybe you just got into this. Maybe you're thinking about getting into it. Um, if that's the case and you're listening to this, welcome. We want you to be part of this fraternity. We want you to be part of the cadre. Um, so we're going to give you, or I'm going to give you some ideas on, you know, things like how to find good deals, how to build a collection, how to figure out um, what's a good entry-level system to have? What kind of stuff should I get if I've never had vinyl before? Um, what are my options if I'm looking to upgrade from some shitty $50 Crosley thing that I got for Christmas three years ago? Or whatever it might be. Um, we're going to talk a lot about dollar bins and 50-cent bins and records you should never pay more than $5 for. And a lot of that stuff is going to get covered on the podcast and on the website. And that's the kind of place I want this to be. But what I also want it to be is I want it to be a community. I want it to be a place where you can come and share your ideas, where you can come and tell us on Twitter or Facebook or the blog, and you can come and say, hey, I want to know about this. I I want to get a cartridge that's $120, and what do you have, and what do other people have, and let other people chime in and, and talk about what makes sense to them, and, you know, say, hey, I can, I can profile a store in, you know, I live in the middle of Michigan, in the, in the, the Great Lakes State, right in the center of the mitten, and um and I can say to you, hey, you know, if you live in if you live in Michigan, here's this store in Detroit that I just went to that's you know super awesome. Or I made a trip down to Chicago. Or you know, this summer I went and made a, a trip and I went to three or four stores in Washington D.C. And what I want to do is take photos and and if I get a chance, take video, and you know, meet the people who run the store and find out what their you know what their ethos is and what they're doing. And I want to be able to share that stuff with you and to say, okay, well, if you're in Kalamazoo, for example, or you're in Grand Rapids, or you're in Dayton, Ohio, or wherever it might be that that I go, or that that you know people in our community go, 
um, we can share that with you and we can give you an honest and objective review of the store and show you what it's going to look like and what our experience was like. And, you know, obviously everybody's going to have a different thing that they're looking for. Um, you know, we're going to have people on here who have, you know, tens of thousands of records. And then you've got guys like me who have, you know, something like 2000 records. And then you're going to have somebody who's got 20. Um, the idea is, you know, to kind of try to hit all those buttons as much as we can, but mostly to get excited about the concept of vinyl. There are just a shit ton of places out there to find out about new music. If you are really pumped up about finding out about what great new hip-hop record is out, what black metal record is out, what Norwegian death metal record is out that's awesome, what ambient electronic thing is fucking sweet, you know, I, I may chime in on one of those things, but it's not very likely. The, the better source for stuff like that is... You know, a place like Pitchfork, where they've got a staff of writers. You know, a place like Consequence of Sound, or Stereo Gum, or Brooklyn Vegan, or Aquarium Drunkard, or whatever whatever blog you want to find. What we're going to talk about here is stuff that's coming out on vinyl, stuff that's coming back out on vinyl, stuff that's getting re-released, new stuff that's coming out, things that we're excited about, things that are going to pump me up specifically, because I'm the guy who drives this bus. And so, what I want to do is basically share some of that stuff with you. We're going to share opinions. We're going to share thoughts. Um, and I, again, I'd like this to be a conversation. If you listen to this and go, oh man, I'm excited about this. I'm a vinyl lover. I wish I had more resources like this. What I really want is I really want to find out about X, Y, or Z. Send us a note, man. Send us a tweet. Send us a Facebook message. Um, find us on email. Whatever you need to do. Whatever's, you know... You want to put smoke signals up? I'll try to decipher them. We'll do what we can. The whole idea is what I want to be able to do is to create a community. I want to get you involved, and I want to be able to talk about the things that matter to you and that matter to me. Um, I'm not going to try to meet some demographic or to say, okay, well, there's a bunch of people out there who like this kind of music or that kind of music or people who just want to know about reggae from 1971 to 1977. You know, I... I'm not going to get that specific. What I'm going to do is get excited about the records and the reissues and the, the used records and the new records and the things that pump me up and the things that I get get jazzed about. Um, so let's just jump right into it, man. I hope you're here for the long haul. It's great to have you here. This, this show is going to evolve as we move along, but it's exciting to get it started. It's exciting to have a place to talk about my passion for for buying records and collecting vinyl and listening to physical media. And if there's one thing that you're probably going to hear me say in every single episode, it's go buy something at your local record store, okay? And we're going to have a lot of discussions about record store day, but as far as I'm concerned, every fucking day is record store day. Every day that you've got a little extra cash and a little extra time and an opportunity to go over to your local store, go do it. Maybe that's once a year, maybe it's twice a year, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's every week. Maybe you get paid on Friday and you don't have any other responsibilities, and you go and you spend $200 on new vinyl every Friday. God bless you. I wish I could do that. This coming Saturday, as of this recording, this is Thursday afternoon, October 16th, and this coming Saturday, I will be headed to the uh, WHFR record sale in Dearborn, Michigan, and I've got a pretty decent-sized budget, and I'm pretty goddamn excited about it. It's been a while since I bought a bunch of records, and I'm pumped up, and I'm excited, and I wish I could do that every Saturday, but I can't. But the reality that I want you to remember is that every day that you can go out and spend money on records is record store day. I understand that there are going to be things that you have to get online, that you want to get as a pre-order, that are going to wind up being difficult to find or difficult to buy, or you need to get them through Discogs. That's all great. There's nothing wrong with that. But 
if you can patronize your local store or a series of local stores, depending on where you live and what your options are, do it. Keep those people in business. They're not just a business. They're not just a place for you to buy records. It's a cultural center. It's a place for your community to congregate where you can go and talk to real, actual, live fucking people. And that's crucial because you'll meet other people who love records, other people who are learning how to love records. You are going to find a place where you're going to browse and you're going to find stuff that you never knew you wanted. And for me, that's really, really exciting. I spend hours a month sitting around adding stuff to my Discogs want list. I spend way too much goddamn time on that website. But I'm constantly finding new stuff that I never even knew existed or I never knew that I wanted it or that I might be interested in it until I actually walk into a store, do some flipping, and find out about it. And what I want you to do is even if you can't afford to buy anything, go to your store. Talk to people. Let them know they've got a customer base. Remind them of that. If they don't have the kind of thing you want, tell them. Tell them what you're looking for. Say, listen, I always come in here and I'm looking for reissues of this or I'm looking for used copies of that. Encourage them. Make them feel like you're a part of their mission statement. That's a really long, dramatic pause, wasn't it? It was really like, uh, and then there was a very little payoff. But anyway, I apologize. They want to know that they've got people on their side, that they've got fans and friends and people in their community who want them to succeed. So what I want you to do is to go out and show those people that you're out there because it's amazing what a difference that makes when you're trying to run a business that's a brick-and-mortar thing. So if you, if you need to order stuff online, that's fine. But remember that what it really comes down to is that when you can spend your money in a physical place like that to keep a, a community center open, a place that allows an opportunity and a venue for people who are like-minded to congregate together, you are actually helping to build uh, something culturally significant and important. So now I'm going to step off my high horse and we're going to move on to news and notes. So let's go quickly through some stuff that happened this week that um, we mentioned on the blog that uh, I think is particularly noteworthy. And um, and then we'll get into a few of my... Uh, unsolicited opinions, as it were. So, uh, first things first, um, I don't know if you guys saw this earlier in the week, Bono, he of U2, the uh, world-famous um, Irish band, I don't know if you're familiar with these guys, they've been around for a little bit, they, they, they're they kind of a big deal, but apparently Bono forgot about this. During a Q&A session on a Facebook uh, thing the other day, someone asked this question in the, in the Q&A uh, give-back deal, quote, can you please never release an album on iTunes that automatically downloads to people's playlists ever again? It's really rude. End quote. I think this is a reasonable question. Again, I realize that we're talking about a show that's focused on vinyl, and the first thing I start with is, let's talk about an iTunes question. But I think it's a valid point that relates to the idea of physical versus digital or virtual media. And Bono's reply was this, and this is unbelievable and recorded verbatim. Listen to this. Again, this is Bono, who, if you've forgotten, is the lead singer of You Fucking Too. Quote, oops, I'm sorry about that. I had this beautiful idea, and we got carried away with ourselves. Artists are prone to that type, kind of thing. Drop a megalomania, touch a generosity, dash a self-promotion, and deep fear that these songs that we poured our life into over these last few years mightn't be heard. 
There's a lot of noise out there. I guess we got a little noisy ourselves to get through it, end quote. Really? You two were concerned that their songs weren't going to get heard, that they made a record, and that unless they foisted it down the throat of the iTunes American public, that no one was going to know about it because there was a bunch of noise? Really? You were concerned because the new Aphex Twin record is out there and that's going to fucking eclipse what's happening to you too? Really? Kesha's suing her uh, manager and Svengali dude, so people were concerned that you weren't going to get to hear the new U2 record? You were, it was just going to fall through the goddamn cracks? That's just bullshit. You're just being... It's like a fucking humble brag thing. It's like you're just being an asshole. You know, a lot of times Bono, I think, gets unfair criticism for being a douche. You know, from a lot of things that I've heard, including a really great Chuck Klosterman essay that I read one time, it seems like Bono maybe is a, a better guy than his public persona would, would indicate. And then he says shit like this. Again, a deep fear that these songs that we poured our life into over these last few years mightn't be heard. First of all, who the fuck is using the word mightn't? Might not, wouldn't. I don't care if you use contractions, Paul. But what you need to do is you need to not use words like mightn't when you're answering a fucking Facebook Q&A question. The second thing that you need to do is stop worrying about whether or not people are going to hear the new U2 record. You're U2. Okay? For 12 fucking years, you were the biggest band in the goddamned world. No one is going to forget about you. Okay? You're not going to let us. You've got more money than God. You've, you've conquered the world. Everyone knows who you are. You don't need Apple to help you ram your new record down the throats of the American public. It's just not necessary. It also wasn't a great idea. Nobody at Apple and nobody in the U2 camp, who obviously are smart people, I mean, you don't reach that kind of high-profile level without having some degree of intelligence and, and common sense. Nobody thought, hey, maybe this is an invasion of privacy to just force somebody to take a record. You know what kind of move that is? That's the kind of move that a hacker with an emo band pulls off. You just shove that into the cloud, and you make people have it, whether they want it or not. You know, it's a real leave-them-wanting-less situation. What you've done is you've taken all of the excitement and all the anticipation about your record, and you've ruined it, okay? I, I've even heard some really positive reviews of the new U2 record, and to be fair, I'm at a point in my life where I'm not really going to be that interested or excited about the new U2 record, even if it's great, I've reached a point in my life where I kind of have the three or four U2 records that I really like and that I get excited about and that were important to me at a specific time in my life, and I've kind of moved on. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy it, but it's never going to mean to me what it did when I was 15 or 16 years old in the mid-1980s. But you can't get to a point where you have the power to force somebody to take something and then at the same time say, oh, I didn't think anybody would want it. Well, that's totally fucking contradictory. You can't force somebody to have something and say, you really should have this, but I'm giving it to you because I don't think you're going to want it. That's just an idiotic way to look at it. So I realize that he's trying to backtrack and he's trying to be humble about it, but it's hollow and it's bullshit, and I'm calling you on it. And it's just, it's unnecessary and it's stupid. So let's move on. In better news, um, and this is a band that I've loved for a really long time, even though I feel like maybe they've taken a bit of a downturn in the last three or four years, 
Um, the Chicago band Wilco um, is celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. Um, they've been a band since 1994. Thank you very much for being really good at math and figuring that out before I said it. Um, when they released their first record, their first solo record, AM. And um, to celebrate that 20th anniversary, this fall they will be releasing two different sets to kind of encapsulate those 20 years and um, kind of have an appreciation of their, what I think is is pretty remarkable and pretty storied career. Um, obviously, this is a band that grew out of the the, uh, the breakup of, of Uncle Tupelo. Uh, Jay Farrar went one way and Jeff Tweedy went the other. And Jeff Tweedy, of course, uh, founded Wilco, which when the split first happened, for those who were in the know and, um, and who have paid attention since, um, those first couple Sunvolt records that Jay Farrar made really appeared to be pretty significantly great records, and, and I think they still are pretty great records. And a lot of people thought AM was kind of slapdash and put together pretty quickly and hurried. And and right at the outset, it seems pretty obvious that Wilco were going to be kind of the JV team, the Jay Farrar's Sunvolt varsity team. And I think over the last, you know, 18 or 19 of those years, I think, I think Jeff Tweedy has really put together just a remarkable catalog that, again, up until the last couple records, I think has been incredibly consistent in some of the most important American music of the last two decades. Um, so enough of the the fawning all over Wilco and Jeff Tweedy. Um, the first set that they're going to put out is a 2LP or 2CD set. And again, here we're more interested in the 2LP set. Um, and this is more for new fans or people who don't have all the stuff that they would like to have. Uh, this is a this is a greatest hits collection. And um, as... Uh, as a friend of mine once said, uh, quoting Kids in the Hall, um, greatest hits are for uh, schoolgirls and housewives, or little girls and housewives, I forget what it is. But regardless, um, the little girls and housewives in the audience might be interested in this, and maybe you're a new Wilco fan and we'll cut you some slack and give you a pass. Um, the set is called What's Your 20? And it's a, again, it's a 2LP set, and it it's a, is a bunch of songs from the eight studio albums that they've released along with a few songs from the Mermaid Avenue sessions that they did with Billy Bragg, where they um, basically wrote music and recorded songs originally written by Woody Guthrie. Um, looks like it's a pretty solid set. It's um, it's produced by a woman named Cheryl Powelski, who has done greatest hits and box sets for people like Big Star, The Band, and Towns Van Zandt. So she's got a pretty good pedigree. And, um, and it, it, you know, on first listen, first, first, first perusal, it looks like a pretty solid representation of the Wilco canon. I, th I think it's a worthwhile set. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the, the greatest hits idea, but, you know, there are some people out there who, you know, again, maybe you're maybe you're just getting into buying records, and if you want to go back and buy all those Wilco reissues, that's a lot of money, man. If you're buying $100, $170, worth of records just to get the studio albums without getting the, the Mermaid Avenue stuff, you know, you're talking about getting all that stuff, and if you throw in the kicking television box, you can spend three, four hundred dollars. That's not, it's not really making a lot of sense. Where you, as you can turn around and spend twenty five or thirty on the, the what's your twenty set, and um and kind of get uh, get your introduction. Um, but I think for for big Wilco fans and for people who are really into it, the more interesting set is called Alpha Mike Foxtrot, and what that is is basically um it's a set of uh, four LPs and what looks to be a really nice big booklet with some liner notes and kind of a backstory and history and a progression of the, you know, the 20 years that Wilco have been a band. And this set is made up completely of rare tracks. So this is going to be cover versions, live recordings, unreleased songs, demo versions, um, songs that never saw the light of day, that kind of thing. 
Um, a lot of this stuff, a lot of the songs that are on the track list, which is up on the Nunsuch website, which is the label that's putting both of these out, um, a lot of the, the songs that are here have been kind of floating around the internet community and, and around the Wilco message boards for years, but this is the first time any of them will have seen um, an issue on vinyl. And the other thing that I think is kind of great about this is, while it's not cheap, um, you're going to get a nice box set, you're going to get four LPs, you're going to get a really good booklet. Looks like maybe there's a couple of other, other goodies that they may be throwing in. And the uh, the retail price on this through the, the Nunsuch site is $77. And again, while that's not a steal, um, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about a little later in the show, the, the price of these reissues is escalating just continually up and to the point where they're actually starting to price some people out of the market. And again, we're going to save this conversation for a little bit later in the program. But um, I think $77 at least is a reasonably fair price. Um, I think that's about as high as I would want to go. Again, that's almost 20 bucks a disc. Um, but, you know, it's it still seems like it's a pretty good deal. So again, those are um, Mike, uh, excuse me, Alpha Mike Foxtrot, which is a 4LP set of rarities uh, that's coming out. These are both going to be out uh, November 17th on Nunsuch Records. Pre-orders are available now on their website. Um, and then, of course, the greatest hits collection that I mentioned is called What's Your 20? And that's a 2LP set, and that is also coming out November 17th on Nunsuch. Um, moving on, uh, Nick Cave is having one hell of a couple years. Uh, last year, he and his band The Bad Seeds put out a, a, a much-acclaimed record called Push the Sky Away, which um, is is kind of a somber little thing, but I think it's, I think it's really... Uh, a pretty interesting and good record. I don't think it's great, but I think it's I think it's quite good. And a number of, of uh, pundits and critics and folks in the quote know put this on uh, on their best of list last year. So it made a lot of top fives, a lot of top tens, and um, it was a it was a record that uh, that a lot of people really loved, and um, and I think justifiably so. So you know that was the first record they had put out since I think two thousand eight. And um, in addition to that, um, during the summer and fall of 2014, that would be this year for those of you playing at home, um, there is a, a really interesting biographical documentary about Nick Cave and um, his uh, artistic approach, the way that he approaches songwriting and the work that he puts into it and you know what it's like to be um, kind of a mercurial dude um, who sort of is, is all over the place thematically and, um, and lyrically and has this really distinct, really interesting style. Um, I think, as a side note, in many in many respects, um, Nick Cave is sort of the Australian Tom Waits. Um, he's a guy who has kind of dabbled in a number of different uh, styles, and yet it always seems like you're able to discern pretty quickly that you're listening to a Nick Cave record. And um, I, I think it's I think it's kind of unusual to have a guy who is very very noticeable in terms of his style and delivery that is completely unique to him in this day and age. I think there are a lot of people who sound kind of like this or kind of like that. And Nick Cave certainly is a guy who has his own voice. Um, and in in that respect, I think the, the 20,000 Days on Earth, which is the name of the, the doc that's coming out or, or is out right now and kind of making the indie theater circuit... Um, I think ought to make a, a a pretty fascinating film, but the uh, the news portion of all of this is that Mute Records, uh, specifically Mute UK, has announced an incredibly ambitious plan to reissue 
on vinyl 14 different titles by Nick Cave and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, this is going all the way back to 1984's uh, From Her to Eternity. And um, we'll go up through uh, Dig Lazarus Dig, which again I think is from 2008. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the, um, the, the, the plan, as I mentioned, is incredibly ambitious because we're talking about 14 different records, many of which are double LPs. And um, right now there are firm dates and a schedule out for the UK and European releases. It looks like the American releases are going to commence on December 16th, according to Mute USA. And uh, right now there is no specific list of titles that will be available, but here's what we do know. Um, in uh, mid-October, um, actually late October, I think the 24th, we're going to be getting three different uh, LPs coming out. We're going to get From Her to Eternity, The Firstborn is Dead, and Your Funeral, My Trial. Um, those three records, again, are going to come out in uh, the later part of October in the UK and in Europe, and those are all going to be on 180-gram vinyl. They're all going to be remastered with the help of Mick Harvey, one of the Bad Seeds, and uh, they're going to work incredibly hard, according to what I have read in a couple of different sources, to use original artwork, liner notes, um, sleeves and inserts and all that sort of thing. So they're going to, it sounds like, do a pretty faithful job to make the packaging itself pretty identical to what came out originally. And there's going to be remastered audio. All of the original tracks are going to be included. It doesn't sound like there's going to be any new stuff or any um, bonus tracks, as it were. <clears throat> that are going to be on these uh, these reissues. And depending on the length of some of these records, they will be either one or two LP sets. So those are your three October releases. And then in November, uh, they're going to do four releases. On the 17th, again, these are UK and European release dates, uh, you're going to get Nocturama, uh, Abattoir Blues, The Lyre of Orpheus, um, and then the third LP is going to be uh, Dig, Lazarus Dig, which, again, is one of my very favorite Nick Cave recordings. Those three are coming out in um, Europe on the 17th of November, and then on the 24th, um, we're going to get Kicking Against the Pricks, which is another another personal favorite of mine. And then throughout 2015, um, we're going to see, um, again, 180-gram uh, reissues of Tender Prey, The Good Son, Henry's Dream, Let Love In, Murder Ballads, No More Shall We Part, and The Boatman's Call. So it looks like by springtime or early summer of next year, um, you're going to be able to go back and fill up your back catalog of uh, any Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds records that you're currently missing from your collection. Um, a lot of these are really pricey on um, on Discogs, specifically the stuff that came out in the 90s and in the early 2000s when there were often just like one UK... <coughs> Excuse me, Jesus one UK or one UK and one US pressing. Um, and it looks like, um, it looks like these are all going to be out within the next, well, less than the next calendar year. And it sounds like they've, they've really got their ducks in a row as far as putting together, uh, really good audio, really good visuals. And, um, the folks at mute do a really good job. If you're not familiar with that label, um, they're, um, probably most famously the home for, um, Depeche Mode. And uh, they also have just recently signed New Order. Obviously, it's a, a, a New Order that uh, is a shell of its former self and doesn't even include Peter Hook any longer, but it's New Order nonetheless. Um, 
another non-reissue. Um, I shouldn't say another because we really haven't had much, but a non-reissue piece of news that uh, is kind of fun, and I wrote about this on the blog a couple of days ago, uh, is uh, that um, Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, good old-fashioned Will Oldham, who is probably the most prolific uh, recording and songwriter dude this side of Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices, of course, uh, recently put out a record, um, I think his 14th um, record for Drag City, which is really quite an accomplishment. Um, he just put out his uh, his new Bonnie Prince Billy record called um, Singer's Grave, A Sea of Tongues. And the uh, lead single off of that is called Quail and Dumplings, which was actually on 2011's um, Wolfroy Goes to Town record. But this is a newer version of it, and it's actually been pepped up a little bit. And um, in in uh, an observation or celebration or excitement or uh, enthusiasms or promotion or whatever you want to call it, because um, this single's out and because the, the record just came out, uh, there is a Quail and Dumplings video. And uh, for those of you who know or follow Will Oldham or Bonnie Prince Billy or any of his palace incarnations, um, he's he's kind of an odd duck. He's a, he's a little bit of a, a, a weird dude. He does a, a bunch of really strange uh, things. You know, he, he often doesn't do a lot of interviews. He, um, he, he doesn't really do um, appearances or anything like that. His tours are kind of strange and um, he tends to change incarnations fairly frequently. Um, and that being said, I still think he's he's by far one of the most interesting and fascinating and listenable people out there in the world of music right now. And this uh, this video for Quail and Dumplings is just it's just goddamn hilarious. the uh, The setup is that um, that Will Oldham, uh, he of the Bunny Prince, has uh, decided to spend the day at a water park in the summertime. And so he and his cohorts are there, and they visit the, quote, Quail and Dumplings Wet and Wild Water Park. And much of this is shot in shaky, um, what appears to be VHS camcorder style with a, a square frame ratio. And um, there's a lot of footage of uh, there's a lot of footage of, of Will Oldham's bald head and him sunscreening it up and getting really SPF'd to the max and making sure that that glistening dome doesn't, uh, doesn't boil in the sun's harmful rays. And, um, you know, there's this really just super cheesy logo for the Quail and Dumplings Wet and Wild Water Park, and it looks like one of those um, kind of shitty regional uh, water park commercials, or like you would see for, um, there's a place in, in Michigan here called Michigan's Adventure, and it's like the, it's like the, uh, the, the shitty alternative to Cedar Point. Um, and so they have these commercials that look a lot like this video. <clears throat> I'm sure they have these all over the country. Um, but the idea is that, that it's kind of this, uh, this goofy, uh, back and forth between these really enthusiastic people who are having just the time of their goddamn lives at the Quail and Dumplings Water Park. And, uh, Will Oldham, who is in this grainy, um, f- fuzzy looking, um, square ratioed, uh, handheld late eighties, early nineties camcorder mode. And um, it's just really, it's it's pretty hilarious. And I, I really like the song, but I also really like the the uh, playfulness of the video. Um, <clears throat> we're going to close out the um, the news section by kind of doing a, a, a good old-fashioned professional radio segue from one topic into another. So be sure if, if uh, you're a, a, a budding journalism student or uh, unemployed podcaster, that you pay attention very closely so you can see how a semi-professional does this in the privacy of his own laundry slash computer slash podcast room. 
Um, one of the reissues that's coming out that uh, we wrote about on the site this week that I'm I'm pretty excited about is um, in 1990, a, a record that's very near and dear to my heart that I still consider a classic uh, uh, came out. And um, I, I had this particular uh, album on cassette, and I just wore the shit out of it for about two years in the tape player in my car. It is called Flood, and it is by none other than Brooklyn's They Might Be Giants, and it is kind of their seminal recording, and it's sort of the record that, that made them really famous. They had some videos that were on 120 Minutes, for those of you who lived back through the dark ages of MTV. And um, it's a great record. And for a long time, it's been out of print on vinyl, and it's it's very expensive. Used copies routinely online and in used stores that I've seen uh, generally start around fifty or sixty bucks. And um, this was at a time, of course, when you know quality of pressing had gone down, and you know they were using um, they were using some pretty uh, some pretty thin um, grade of vinyl. I'm not even sure if it would have been, you know, much more over, you know, 100 or 110 grams. It's that kind of thing where you hold it in your hand and you move your hands back and forth and it wobbles and it gives you that whoop, 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 whoop sound. And um, so, you know, it's like paying $60 for, and this is this is a lot of the reissue market, but it's like paying $60 for um, this this artifact of your youth. And one of the one of the things that I talk to people a lot about when um, when I talk about vinyl is I talk about the fact that it is in in many ways a form of time travel. And if you listen to people or talk to people who are my age, I'm 42, um, and who are even slightly younger and and certainly on up from there. So anybody basically from their early to mid 30s forward, um, if you if you grew up listening to vinyl and you don't have a particular record that you used to have or that you had on another format that you want to enjoy on vinyl, but specifically a record that one time or another that you had um, that's now become difficult to find. And for me, Flood is one of those records. I never had it on vinyl. Uh, that was at a time in my life where I, I listened to, to lots of stuff on tape because I was driving around all the time because that's what you did when you were a teenager living in Michigan with nothing to do. You drove around and listened to music and looked for shit that was happening. And one of the things that we used as a soundtrack when we were driving around looking for shit that was happening was Flood by They Might Be Giants. And so I've I've wanted this this album on on record for a really, really long time. And there just aren't very many records I'm gonna pay fifty or sixty dollars for, especially when um you know, it's a it's a it's a mid level pressing from the the late eighties or early nineties in this case, nineteen ninety. Um and you don't really know how well it's gonna hold up and you don't know, you know, if you're buying it online or whatever. Fifty dollars is just a lot of money to spend on a record that you'd really like to have. Um, but you know, it's not it's not gonna change your life. It's not like I, I don't know, I can't even think of an example. So so this week, uh this label music on vinyl. Um, I happened to stumble upon this thing that they're that they're reissuing a um, a 180 gram version of and I've mentioned 180 gram vinyl a lot, haven't I? And we'll we'll touch on that too. But um, they're, they're reissuing a 180 gram 2LP set um, in a gatefold sleeve with original artwork and everything. And I I I believe it's been remastered, but I I don't know that that was specifically stated in the in the pre order page that I saw on Soundstage Direct. Anyway. There's there's a, a reissue of Flood that's coming out, and I'm very excited about it. And then my excitement was kind of tempered because the the asking price for this was thirty five dollars. 
And yeah, that's certainly less expensive than paying 50 or $60 for it used. And it's probably a nicer pressing and it's probably going to sound better because they probably remastered it. And hopefully they use the original tapes. But, you know, a lot of times with these reissues, you just don't know. Um, but long story short, $35 is a lot of fucking money to pay, even for a two-disc set. Sorry, it just is. Um, I mean, that's essentially like saying, I'm going to give you $17.50 a record, and you're only going to give me one cover. And I realize it's a gatefold cover, but it's $35. And one of the things that I'm starting to get worried about is, as the reissue market really becomes the primary driver of of the new vinyl market. And if you if you want to see any if you want to see any quantifiable proof, go go Google a list of, you know, 2013 or 2014 to this point or whatever. Look at the last two or three years and look at the records that are being sold in large quantities on vinyl that are new um, to people. And you will notice that you're going to see a lot of names on there for bands that aren't even a relevant thing anymore. So you're going to see Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. You're going to see... Led Zeppelin, you're going to see maybe Black Sabbath, or you're going to see um, stuff like that. And then when you see newer stuff, it's not going to be, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be stuff that's, you know, really, you know, reaching a broad audience. It's not like, you know, the number three vinyl record from 2013 was Taylor Swift or something, or Katy Perry. You know, I, I think the, the the top selling record of this year so far is Lazaretto by, by, uh, by Jack White. Or maybe Blunderbuss. I don't remember. Whichever the most recent Jack White record is. I'm sorry. I'm not a... All you Jack White nerds can email me or whatever. Um, but the Jack White record from Third Man Records, I'm sure, is going to be in the top two or three. But, you know, you're going to see uh, Electric Ladyland or Are You Experienced or something get a remaster and it's going to wind up being in the top 20. So the point is that the, the reissue market, by and large, is is just as important and just as vi- vital to what's going on in the world of vinyl as what's happening with um, new music. So it's great that this, you know, Wilco thing's coming out and there's going to be a disc of, you know, a, a, a two LP set or that there's going to be, um, there's going to be a bunch of Nick Cave reissues. And I'm sure those are going to do really, really well. But essentially, those are reissues. I mean, I realize that the Wilco stuff has never seen the light of day, but it's not new music, you know? And sure, um, you know, I'm sure that, that Matador sold a bunch of copies of the new, um, the, the most recent New Pornographer's record, Brill B- Bruisers, or that's a tongue twister too, isn't it? Brill Bruisers. That's just, that's going to fuck me up. It's a good thing I've only had one beer today. Um, you know, and I'm sure that there are going to be a number of other records that are going to do well, Um you know, I know that Daft Punk sold a shit ton of, of vinyl records, but again, if you look at if you look at lists over the last two or three years, you see a lot of what I would refer to as legacy titles. And so, you know, like one of the things I'm sure that's going to be really big at the end of the year are all of these Beatles mono reissues that have come out. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot of people who went out and bought a remastered mono copy of the White Album or Sgt. Pepper or Revolver or, you know, whatever. Um, and for people who want to get, you know, a really high quality, beautiful audio file copy, that's that's sweet. That's great. It's great that that's out there. But I think what's happening is that the vinyl powers that be, if you will, are kind of pigeonholing the average vinyl buyer into saying, okay, well, everybody who wants to buy a vinyl record 
must be a high-level audiophile. And they all want to buy these super heavyweight pressings. They all are willing to spend a bunch of money, and they want everything to be quote-unquote deluxe. And I don't know whether or not everybody out there feels that way. I just know that I don't. And what's kind of irritating for me is I'm a guy who would really like to have a vinyl copy of They Might Be Giants Flood. It's a record that I really enjoy. I'd like to have it on vinyl. Again, when I listen to records at my house, I listen to vinyl. If I listen to something in the car, that's when I would listen to Flood. I wouldn't listen to Flood at my house unless I had it on LP. But I don't want to spend 50 or $60 to buy it used. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I want to spend $35 for a new copy of it on vinyl. Now, what I don't understand is why can't we have a nice reissue of this that's well done? And maybe it's on 180 grand, maybe it's on 150 or even 125 but a solid quality remastered pressing that sounds good. Do the work. Use the original tapes. Make the liner notes right. Make the artwork look good. Put whatever pieces you need into it. Make it a fair price. I'm not asking you to sell it for net or less than what it costs you to make it. That's not the point. The point is, I don't think that you need to go out and bilk the record-buying public because all of a sudden, we've got a boner over wax again. I think that's just stupid and short-sighted. I think it's easy for people to forget that what got us into the Napster mess in the first place had as much to do with being just squeezed again and again and again by the record companies, by changing formats, by, okay, well, you need to get this on vinyl, then you need to get it on A-Track, then you need to get it on cassette, and then we're going to put it on CD, and then we're going to put it on uh, SACD, and then we're going to put it on audio-grade um, vinyl, and we're going to give you a 220 gram pressing of it, and we're going to make you buy that thing six fucking times, and it's just stupid. And I think what we forget is that what people really care about is the music. People want to have this artifact, they want to have this thing, but they've also only got a finite money, amount of money left. And one of the people, one of the groups of people that we talked about at the beginning of the show today, are people who are new to this. Now, if if you're 20 years old and you don't have a lot of disposable income, and somebody says to you, hey um, all of these new Jayhawks reissues came out, and they're they're just they're just great records, and I think they're great records. I think they're some of my favorite music in the whole world. Okay, and somebody says to you, "Man, Rainy Day Music is a perfect fucking album, and you really should have this. And if you want to have vinyl, and you like these other things, maybe you're really gonna like this Jayhawks record." And that's the kind of thing I would say to somebody who had never really collected a lot of vinyl. And then they're gonna go to the store, and they're gonna have to plunk down thirty or thirty-five dollars to buy a two-disc set that's not even a gatefold cover. And I just think that that's more money than it should cost. Again, I'm not saying it ought to be free. I'm not saying it ought to be less than what it costs you to make it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make a profit on it. I want these companies to be profitable so that they can continue to take this music from other places and keep reissuing different titles on vinyl. And I'm thrilled that this shit keeps coming out. But the reality is this. If you keep squeezing people and you make everything deluxe, you're going to narrow your audience. You are going to say to people, okay, it's only people with a lot of disposable income and incredibly high standards who are really going to enjoy this. And I'm not saying that vinyl ought to be for everybody, but it already requires equipment and money and care and storage and time. And there are a lot of factors that go into being a record listener and to be in a place where you have a decent turntable with a quality cartridge and halfway decent speakers and a preamp and an amplifier 
and a place to store your records and understanding how to take care of them and the time that it takes to clean those records. Look, I realize that for us, those are all things that we enjoy. Those are therapeutic things. Those are things I can sit back and do and basically take a deep breath. And that's my R&R for the day. But there are a lot of people who are learning how to do this. It's not something that they're relearning or it's not like riding a bike for them that they never forgot like it is for you and me. For a lot of people out there, it's something new. It's something they've never done before. And if we make it too expensive and we make it too difficult and we make it too exclusive, they're going to go away. It's going to be a fad. Okay, I know we've had seven years of consecutive growth in, in, the, in vinyl sales or whatever that number is. Maybe it's more. I don't remember. I don't have the chart in front of me. But the reality is this. You can't continue to have growth. You can't continue to have new people getting excited about this. If you make it this thing that only a segment of the population can actually afford. And again, I'm not saying I want everybody to go out and buy vinyl. But, you know, one of the things that we're talking about a lot in the vinyl community is the fact that there are only X number of pressing plants and people are running second and third shifts to find a way to get all of this product out. There's a demand. But what happens when you drive the price up, you drive the demand down. And I realize that there's a magic number there where you reach a, a point where you're making money, you're attracting people, and you're not turning them off with how much, how much money they're spending. And you raise that price a little bit, and maybe you drive a few people off, and that number fluctuates a little bit, and it's simple fucking economics. But the reality is, I just don't see how you can say to me, $35 is what we have to sell this for to run a profitable, responsible business. I just don't think it's necessary. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I see lots of I see lots of people out there. You know, I look at this, I look at this, um, this is a great example. There's a new Bell and Sebastian record coming out in January on Matador. And um it's a it's a two LP set, and I don't remember exactly what it's gonna go for, but it's gonna go somewhere in the the, the low to mid twenties, like twenty two to twenty five or something is the the number that I saw. Um, and I'm sure that's going to fluctuate depending on where you buy it, whether you buy it online or at your local store or from Matador directly. But let's just call it 25 bucks, okay? And that's not cheap, but I, I think it's fair. I think I think a, I think a 2LP set that's a gatefold at $25 is is a reasonable price. It's not it's not cheap, but I, I think it's I think it's okay. Um, you know, something between 20 and 25 certainly seems very fair and very doable. And depending on what it is, maybe you bump that up just a shade like to 26 or 27. But Matador has announced one of the pre-orders that's available is four pieces of colored vinyl with the full record, a small booklet, like 8 or 16 pages. Again, four pieces of wax, colored vinyl with demos and different mixes, and the four-disc set pre-orders for 35 bucks. So you can get twice as many discs of a new record and get an MP3 code coupon because all of that stuff's going to be available digitally and you're going to get all that stuff for $35 along with a booklet and a nice little slipcase that it all goes in for 35 bucks. Or you can turn around and spend $35 to buy those Jayhawks reissues or to buy the, the They Might Be Giants reissue. And again, those are records I love and I really want them. And, and I know that they're looking at me and saying, you're our customer. We want a guy who's in his late 30s, early 40s, 
who was in love with these records when they were out. And your nostalgia is going to reach into your wallet and make you spend more money than you should on this thing. And what I am saying is your avarice and greed by, by playing that hand, and I don't even think it's necessarily evil. I think it's just they feel like they can get away with it. And I think it's short-sighted. Because I think I think what we're forgetting is that, and I started this thought earlier and then I got I got, I got sidetracked and took a different train down the road, but I think the reality is that when the whole file sharing thing came in, whether it was Napster or Torrance or Limeware or whatever, one of the reasons that people felt justified was that CD prices had gotten so high. And at the time that that stuff started to happen, my wife was just finishing her stint working at a, at a local chain of record stores called Harmony House. And... You know, routinely, and again, this is in the mid-90s, routinely, you would see records that were, or excuse me, CDs that were going for $17, $18, sometimes even $20. And that was for a single CD. So, you know, again, that if you look at the way that, that the dollar worked 20 years ago or 18 years ago, that's a lot of money. I mean, I don't know what the conversion rate is, but let's say that's, you know, let's say that's as much as $25 in today's money. You know, one of the reasons that people felt justified was that they weren't buying Warner Brothers product. They were buying this band that they liked. So you were really excited about the Metallica record, or you were really excited about the Guns N' Roses record, or you were really excited about um, you know, the Cranberries record, or, or whatever fucking record was out in 1994 that you wanted to buy. And so... Instead of being ten or twelve or fourteen dollars, even they were seventeen and eighteen dollars, and sometimes more. And now you look at it, and it's twenty years later, and not very many people buy CDs. And physical product is a a niche thing, if you will, even the CD market. And if you want, you can go and buy the you know the Jason Aldean record at Target for nine bucks on CD or whatever. And I and I think. I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's where that should be. So we've driven it back down to what's a reasonable number. And the question is, how are we going to do that with vinyl? How are we going to get that number back down to where it really belongs? What's a fair number? What's a reasonable number? And the the truth of the matter is that when we get right down to it, if we really, really want something, we'll justify spending the money. So I may not go out and buy every $35 reissue, but I may say, you know, it's the exception to the rule, but I'm going to do it for Flood because I love it. Or I'm going to do it for Rainy Day Music because I love it. And those are records that I would consider paying that much money for, even though I think that's too much money. But at the end of the day, I really want those records. And that's and that's that's sort of the way I feel torn up about it. And I know that it's really not fascinating to sit here and listen to my own inner economic turmoil but the reality is this is the this is the state of buying records right now. Um not only have have new prices gotten really expensive, but one of the other disadvantages of people kind of I hate to use the word glomming on, but that's the word I'm going to use. Um with people glomming on or jumping on the bandwagon of vinyl, used prices have gotten really really high. Um now you've still got this segment of really popular, um, largely '70s records, but there's some there's some '80s records in there too that that just had eight million 
copies made again and again and again and again and again. And so there are literally millions of copies of these records floating around. And so you can get a used copy of Rumors for a dollar. You can get a copy of Harvest for three dollars. You can get, um, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, you can walk into a record store and they'll just hand you a Linda Ronstadt record. They'll hand you a Seals and Croft record or an England Dan and John Ford Coley record because there are just so many of those fucking things. That, I swear to God, um, if you have more than 10 records, um, even if one of them is not Tapestry by Carol King, if you leave them there in the dark for more than three consecutive days when you come back, Carol King's Tapestry will be in there. There will be an extra record, and it will just have materialized. It, like this magic fucking group of, you know, Keebler elves comes in and puts this this record together. Um, And, you know, these are all over. And that's a great way, if you're a young person, to try to build a collection. So you might say, hey, you know, Fleetwood Mac's all right. Um, My dad listened to that, or, you know, my uncle listened to that, or whatever, and you might be excited about it. You might be young enough to say, my grandparents listened to that. I, I don't know how much of a fucking whippersnapper you are. Maybe you're 14 years old and listening to this podcast and learning all sorts of new words. Um, but, um, those, those records are out there and they're, and they're really available, but virtually everything else, there is kind of this finite amount of them. And so we have gotten to the point where the way that we get these records, because they're getting more and more difficult and more and more expensive to get used. The way that we are getting access to these records now is when they get a reissue. And if everything that we reissue becomes deluxe and becomes fancy and gets pressed on 180-gram vinyl and gets the royal treatment and, and is priced as a luxury item, vinyl will become a luxury item. And it will just be the domain of audiophiles and the independently wealthy. And I'd really hate to see that happen because I think one of the beautiful things that's happened about the resurgence of vinyl records is that, again, it's created this community of people. And it has taken us away from saying, the way that I'm going to get music is I'm going to download it, whether I pay for it or I steal it. I'm going to get it from my computer, and I'm going to listen to it by myself. I'm going to plug it into this little thing that I carry around with me, whether it's an iPad, an iPod, a phone. It doesn't matter. I'm going to put my earbuds in, and the music that I listen to is going to be a solitary experience. And I think that that is, is fine, occasionally. But I think that for most of us, the, the music moments that we really truly remember are moments that, it's like eating. It's like, you know, once in a while, it's okay to go to a movie by yourself. That, that's fun. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it, you know, it's, it seems almost self-indulgent in a way. You know, maybe you go out and you get a, a decent meal for yourself and you're alone. And that's, and that's great. But you don't want to go to every movie by yourself, and you don't want to you don't want to eat every meal alone, and you don't want to listen to virtually all of your music in your car or inside your headphones. You need to put them in a space and let the room be a part of that experience. Even if you're by yourself, let your furniture and your books and your end table and your lamps and your kitchen soak that up. Let it be a part of your house. Let it be a part of your place of work. Let it be a part of your life. Don't let it just be this thing that happens inside your own fucking head. And I think one of the things that we've lost 
Yes, this is where I jump up on my back in my day horse. Um, one of the things that we have lost, as I think, as a music listening public, is this sensation that we are all in this together. And that there, there, is, there is a beauty in sharing music with other people. And I think that physical media, specifically vinyl records, are the best way to do that. And I don't want to see us lose that again. I don't want to see that disappear because we've decided to capitalize and monetize the recent craze over owning vinyl records. Not everything has to be deluxe. Not everything has to be a fancy pressing. You know, I, I did a little research, and there's an article about this on the blog from earlier in the week. The first Ramones record cost them just a little over $6,000 to make. The most recent reissue of that was in 2011 on Rhino Records, and it retailed for $18. That's the top end. It's a 29-minute record. All of those songs have three chords or fewer. They're all built on power and speed and energy. It's not the fucking Alan Parsons project. It doesn't need to be on 180-gram vinyl. Put it out on 120-gram vinyl and sell it for 13 bucks. I see kids all the time. They get their little Ramones t-shirts with the four names of the band members that they, that they wear around, and I have no idea whether or not they even know who the, who the Ramones are or whether or not they like them. And, and the fact that I ask myself that question sort of is the complete point to me. It's, it's about the cachet of the Ramones. It's not about the Ramones. Well, having it on vinyl is the cachet. But the big question is, do you like that record? Do you listen to that record? Do you give a shit about that record? Now, I don't think the Ramones are as great as everybody else does, but I think that if you love the Ramones and you really want that record, you ought to be able to go out as a 15-year-old kid or a 40-year-old guy who doesn't want to spend a fucking fortune on every record that he owns and get that record for $12. That It's simple. Okay? You own that money. It's all fucking found money at this point. Okay? You go out, you get that pressed for $4. You know, you wholesale it for 9 You make 5 bucks. The store makes 3 or $4. Everybody's happy. You don't have to have a goddamn windfall on every single release that you put out. Okay? I'm going to step down off my soapbox now about the Ramones. But fear not, I'll still be recording this on a slightly lower soapbox. So to kind of wrap up, I, I think what what's really uh, frustrating for me is the fact that I think that we are we are getting back to this this thing where we are we are pushing ourselves again where we're saying here's this here's this thing that people love and the people who love it are willing to pay for it and if you don't if you don't love it you won't pay for it and if you don't love it yet we're going to price you out so that you're not interested. You're not going to try. You're not going to think about it. You're not going to be interested. So you're going to think the only thing that we want you to have on vinyl is Linda Ronstadt's Greatest Hits or a Dave Edmonds record or The Three Sons or Lawrence Welk or The Mills Brothers. And some of those things are, are not only perfectly fine, but great. But... There's a whole treasury of music out there that either is now out in reissue form or needs to be. And I don't think that it all needs to be deluxe. And I think that it's really important that as labels move forward and think about this and use these legacy projects and take these things that are in need of a repressing, things like the Jayhawks, things like They Might Be Giants, 
things like Nick Cave, and I worry that these Nick Cave reissues are going to be kind of pricey as well, even though I haven't seen any firm numbers. These are the kinds of records that they need to come down just a little bit. They need to be a little more reasonable in price. They need to be a little more accessible to a wider audience of people, and we will help to facilitate the rise in sales, and more importantly, the level of enthusiasm in the vinyl buying community. And again, I want to stress, it's a community. So remember, this weekend, or whenever you're listening to this, anytime you can go out and hit your record store, even if you don't spend any money, swing by, say hi, let them know you're there. Let them know that you're stopping in to see how things are going, you're ordering something, you're setting something aside, you're putting something on hold, you're spending five bucks, you're spending ten bucks. If you've got more, great. Go to your local record store. Make sure that you know that you care that they're there and keep going. Finally, the last little piece of news that I want to cover is, uh, and this happened uh, just a little earlier today that I noticed this. For those of you who are on Discogs, Discogs has a new uh, app, and I apologize, I can't even remember the name of it, but go to Discogs and look up their new app. It is a uh, it is an awesome tool that allows you to go around and find virtually every record store in their database in North America. Um, there are something like 2,100 stores on the site, and I think that they're hoping that that number is going to grow over the next few weeks and months. And um, this is going to be a great resource for you to have in your phone as you kind of wander around the country. And, um, you know, maybe you're driving to the in-laws in a couple weeks, and uh, along the way there's a store. You know, maybe the missus will appreciate that you went to the in-laws, and on the way home you can swing by and pick up two or three records. So keep listening, keep buying vinyl, keep going to your local shop. Um, Again, make sure you're checking out the blog, waxandwaynemusic.com. Find us on Facebook. Just go to uh, facebook.com slash waxandwaynemusic. Or you can find us on Twitter at Wax and Wayne Music. We want to hear from you. What did you uh, think was fucking ridiculous that you heard this week that you uh, totally disagree with? Maybe you thought I was onto something. A little positive reinforcement never hurt, especially for a guy with self-esteem like mine. Let us know what you think. What do you want to hear about? What do you want me to talk about? What do you want to get involved with? We've got a bunch of plans coming forward. We've got some, some uh, store profiles. We've got some lists coming up. We're going to do some guest posts. We're even going to do a new segment pretty soon called Primer, where we're going to kind of break down how to become a fan of a band you may have missed or not really known about or maybe only know one or two songs. And um, we're going to have another podcast, which is a, uh, a Wax and Wayne radio hour, where I'll be spinning songs based on a theme or uh, a specific idea. Um, and um, we're hoping that those will be unveiled here in the next few weeks. But uh, we're thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I really appreciate you spending an hour with me today. Thanks again so much. And um, like I said, keep listening, and we'll see you on the flip side. Say I'm the only being.